Welcome to Talk Design, the show where creatives have conversations. I'm Adrian Ramsey and I'm your host. Having lived a life of design myself, I wanted to share with you the creatives that inspire me and in turn may inspire you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy. Hi, I'm Adrian Ramsey, and I'm your host on Talk Design. I started this podcast because I wanted to share the journey of design that I've had and that many others have had, and I find it inspirational talking to people globally about what makes design tick and what makes design create a better world for others. My journey has taken me from clothing globally, women's swimwear, performance sportswear, mountaineering, yachting, all these kind of genres where each place I would learn more and more about different specifics and how clothing can support those. Also, I've worked in innovation as a systematic innovation trainer and worked with the aerospace industry as well as the marketing industry and the design industry. And all my years of design Still my favourite is the built structure and interiors. In years of travel and discovery, I constantly look at what the emotions are that are created by the built space. I consider myself a student of design for my whole life and will go on that way. Some of the things that I do to support this is my podcast, and then workshops and masterclasses where I teach people about trends and design thinking and tours where I take people on tour with me and we go and discover different points of architecture or interior design globally. I always think that when you're passionate about something, one of the things that you should do is is you should share it. And so creating the podcast was my way of sharing my enthusiasm and the enthusiasm of others and their passions around design with you. I hope you really enjoy it. And I ask you, would you please drop us a line? Tell us what you think. Tell us what got you excited. It's so inspiring when we get messages from our listeners that tell us about the things that shifted in their life because of who they listen to. And it gives me the inspiration to dig deeper and find more people that I can bring to your ears so that you live a better design life. My guest on Talk Design today is Diana LaMonaco. Now, Diana has a sister who is on the show as well. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about her in a second, because Diana's the important one right here today. Diana is a fashion designer, and as you all know, fashion is close to my heart, having worked in fashion for many years before I started working in the built structure. And she's done this really cool thing. Her company's called Classic Six. And hidden in that name is exactly what it is. It's classic six. And we're going to dig into that bit of genius, what drives her to do it and why she chose to do it this way. So I do want to just now wind back to her younger sister. Her younger sister of 15 minutes younger is on the podcast as well. And she's an interior designer and she is based in New York City as well as London. And Diana's based in New York City. So they are twin sisters. And we're going to bring them both to the show in the future, actually, where they're going to talk together, which will be really exciting because they've got beautiful crossover as well. Anyway, Diana, welcome to Talk Design. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This is fun. I yeah. loved your episode with Christina. It was great. <laughs> the 15-minute younger sister. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure she's going to love hearing that. Oh, I can't wait for her to listen. <laughs> She's got a great sense of humor. Mm-hmm. So you're based in New York City and the Hamptons, and your business is an e-commerce business, but it's a clothing business. So I can imagine there's all different kinds of challenges that come with e-commerce and clothing, even though it's a well-popularized space right now. A couple of things that I want to do, though, is start out with Obviously, you and your sister are both creatives, like highly creative and driven as well, driven to succeed and also control freaks. I know that already. 
but in that control freakishness, what it is, is it's about trying to create something that's really special. So it's not control freak in an ugly manner. It's control freak in actually, how do I get the detail to happen? And yeah. I can imagine it's growing up, there would have been plenty of, I suppose, plenty of pieces where you would compete against each other like that. So tell me mm -hmm. a bit about being a young girl with your sister and living yes. and, and why you ended up in fashion. It's funny that you say that because I don't ever, I never really imagined myself as the boss or someone that was going to be growing a business at all. I went to school and I kind of thought that I was going to work at a big corporation and kind of climb the ladders because that's what my family, you know, probably told us would be a great idea to do. Get that safety net, have your insurance you know, make sure that you're working towards this bigger goal. So this kind of lifestyle was never, I don't think in the plans, but I think it was always innate in us. I don't know if Christina told this story, but we were always very hard workers from a young age. I remember selling, like creating, we would go and buy fabric. Our mom's a seamstress. I don't know if she mentioned that, but mm -hmm. um, we were around sewing for a lot of our lives. And I think when we were like six or seven years old, we would go to the fabric store and we would buy strips of fabric. And my mom taught us how to sew each side closed and put an elastic through it and then sew it. sew the elastic closed and we would make these little scrunchies for girls to put in their hair and we would sell them on our driveway. So you know, where other kids were selling lemonade, we were making scrunchies and we would buy organza and we would put pearls in them and sew them up and sell them for like $2 on our driveway. And we would make, we would make some money. And I feel like now when I look back at that time, it, it's honestly like the first of our forays into entrepreneurship, if you think of it, and you know, mm -hmm. like we were creating something and feeling like we should sell it. But then it didn't, it didn't really come to me until years later where I thought, you know, I could start my own business. I could do this for myself and really make money doing it. It's interesting when you reverse it back up like that though, eh? Like, I mean, most kids actually try some kind of venture to make money, whether they walk people's dogs or whether they wash cars or whether they mow lawns or something to uh, you know, clean houses. I'm trying to think of all the different things yeah, that kids kind of babysitting. They I do worked that. in Italy. <laughs> I yeah. worked, I was supposed to set a restaurant. I was a waitress at a restaurant. In fact, I was just saying today, I was on another call this afternoon and she, the woman was telling me about her daughter that's getting a job. She just graduated college and she's not really loving what she's doing. And I told her that she should tell her daughter that any kind of small job that you take throughout your life even though at that moment you're looking at it as something that you don't want to do, you can definitely in some way use that knowledge in the future. So, and I was telling her about, you know, waitressing and just the customer experience and dealing with people on a day-to-day -day basis. Did I think that that kind of knowledge was going to help me you know, 25 years later in my current business? And now I'm dealing with the customer again every yeah. single day. And I think back to those times that that experience has shaped me into the kind of customer service, you know, person or rep that I would want to be for my business today. It teaches yeah. you a lot of skills around building very quick rapport with people. And mm -hmm. it teaches you to be of service to people as well. And like business is an, about being in service. It's any business is... Solving problems for people, yeah. Yeah, and that ability to build rapport quickly, especially in the US where, you know, you've got a, a gratuity market um, as how you get paid. If you mm -hmm. want to be the person who gets the, the the highest tip ratings in your you know in the business, then you've got to work for it. But you, it's not just putting the food down. It's actually yeah. working for it, allowing them to be, to create an experience for people. And yeah. it, it's not about serving know. food. Yeah. It, it, I All think, little jobs. Yeah. Have yeah. Every, every job you do, I think there's that thing where you have the opportunity to, to actually learn that next step 
whether it's like you say, like whether it's doing food, but what's the skill sets that you will learn? And then what will you take them forward into? You don't know that yet. But when you go back and you go, oh, I have this thing when I was a kid. I used to live in sort of like a semi-rural country area, but close to a town, like really close. And my best friend lived right next door to me. And we would be at home, like in the country, and it would be winter and we'd have school holidays. And we would have no parents around, like parents would be at work. And we used to do this game where we would, we used to have a phone, you know, and it was attached to the wall or it was attached to the phone. It was, wasn't, there's no mobiles or anything. We used to do this game where we would dial any random number and we would ask for somebody. So I would ask for you. I'd, I'd just make up a name and they would say, oh, I'm sorry, you've got the wrong number. Now the game was, is how long could you keep that person on the phone? That was all it was. That was all we were trying to time. And so the ability to create conversation was, and he was really good at it, was this thing of how dynamic could you be and on your feet. And so we we worked out all these scripts and which scripts worked best, how we could use them. And we would do this for hours on hours a day. So fun. So Just, fun. It's yeah. Like improv. Sorry? It's like improv. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, it's like my husband's actually taking improv classes right now, and he's just as like recreationally, and he's loving it so much. And you know, I really do think that you could take some of these skills that you learn in classes like that for your business as well. A hundred percent. Every day you're on the phone speaking to new people, and yeah, you gotta be, you have to be quick. It, exactly. If you don't make a good impression quickly, <laughs> then you don't get to make a good impression ever. You you may later on, but people evaluate you in the first number of seconds that they're around you as to what how they're going to treat you or how they see you and stuff like that. So I've got a, a guy I interviewed the other day, an architect from Marin County in San Francisco, and he does, he's a, uh, what would you call it, like an amateur acting, you know, that kind of thing. And he also was a graphic designer. And so he studied graphic design before he studied architecture. And he just, he said to me, I think these things layer into my business. Having done the acting part means that when I have to do presentations and stuff, I'm far more yeah. confident with it. With the graphic design, I can always make the things look beautiful. My plans look beautiful you know, they're not messy or hard to read. And you think about these layering effects. And then yeah. also this thing of, you know, standing on your driveway, making scrunchies. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it meant that, A, you had something that was unique from what other people were trying to sell. And not only that, you were giving something that wasn't just like a, not putting anything down on people who do a lemonade stand. I think they're fantastic. But with this it- great. Yeah, exactly. This meant that 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 your brand as such went with them and continued with them. So they'd look out for you again. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, whereas it, you know, in the lemonade stand thing, there's multiples of those or there's op more opportunities and there's more, um, and not in your neighborhood, but in your neighborhood, there'd be more opportunities for that. But with scrunchies, they probably have to mm -hmm. go to another part to get them. We cornered the market, literally. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what a great learning without realizing it at that age. Like it, it's yeah. a fabulous learning. I, I think, yeah, exactly. And did your parents like, as you, well, as you both ended up in your own businesses, but both successfully, did your parents kind of do the freak out thing? Did they go, oh my God, here we go. Oh yeah. Yes. <laughs> because, you know, like I said, when I first graduated college, I went right to corporate. You know, I started, I went to college for graphic design and then I got a job as a production artist at Macy's doing their advertising. Uh -huh. and I was promoted to art director and my parents were so excited. I got promoted. So I was excited that I got promoted. You know, I saw myself becoming creative director and then VP of advertising and then just climbing the ladder in that in that world. Yeah. And it just I felt like kind of creatively uninspired because we were just doing the same kind of campaigns every single season mm -hmm. and just throwing new pictures into the same layouts and I took on some freelance work on the side and it kind of sparked my joy again creatively. 
And I was, you know, just getting clients on Craigslist. I would, I would like look at the ads of people looking for stuff on Craigslist. And I would just keep getting jobs like that where I was working now full-time job. And then these smaller jobs on the side where I was like, maybe I could leave this full-time job and just do all of these freelance jobs on the side. And, mm. and that's what I wound up doing it. And it wound up being quite a success. I, I made sure that I had like six months of, you know, rent so I could at least pay my rent before I left. And I made sure I had a couple of clients that I knew could, you know, sustain the lifestyle that I was living at the time, which was not like grandiose at all. And it wound up working and I would just keep, you know, I kept growing the, that small business that way. And I did I, that graphic design business. I just closed the doors on that last year, yeah, which wow. is great. I started it in 2011 and I just, you know, classic six got to a point where I wasn't able to do both, but my graphic design business is what helped pay for the incidentals as I was growing, as I was classic growing six. Yeah. I love so, that story. It's fantastic. And it was an interesting journey. I think one of the really key things in, in your story is that is that you had six months rent in the bank. Yeah. Yeah. And I always say have a cushion. If you're gonna leave your full time job, make sure that you have your cushion. And I remember saying that if anything, if I'm not able to pay my rent, I refuse to get another full-time job, a corporate job. I will get a job as a waitress. I will find another income stream, but I'm not going back to corporate. Because at that point I said, I, I have control now over my life. There's not a big corporation controlling me and my creativity and my success anymore. And that felt like freedom. Mm. Mm. So, and thankfully I never had to get a waitressing job again. But yeah, that's what I said. That's what I said to myself. I think that's a really fascinating thing. And look, I would I would say to people, any business that they're in, there's a every business has a cycle of you know, financial cycle. So you look at what your outgoings are and say your outgoings are fifty thousand a month or whatever it is, and then you look at the speed that your work comes in or your products come and go in. And if you were to go, okay, so if we didn't make a sale for three months, is that like how likely is that? Yeah. And most businesses you go not very likely. But you know, there are businesses that make one sale a year and that's how their business works. Yeah. And you know, you look at architecture and they might only make five, six sales a year if it's a single like practitioner. So that's not a lot. But if you can carry enough cash in a, a what what I call an emergency account mm -hmm. if you can carry enough cash in your emergency account that can make you last that cycle so yeah. whether that's three months or four months save that stuff up lock it away and just have that as the cushion because that cushion you don't hope you don't go in and open that account you don't take it ever from there you just leave it sitting there but that gives you confidence it yes. gives you it gives you breathing space it means that you don't panic stress. yeah yeah otherwise yeah. it's a very stressful situation you're not living them paycheck to paycheck so I always tell anybody that's ready to leave their full-time job make sure you have that cushion yeah I love that. I think it's just brilliant. And it doesn't matter what time, if you leave the job or anything, it, you should have it for all of your business always. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. Cash flow. An eye on the yeah. cash flow. It's the most yeah. important thing. Yeah. yeah. Service-based or product-based. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting. And that, again, these are lessons that you picked up along the way, but you can apply to your business always. Yeah. I love it. Exactly. Yeah. Let's talk about Classic Six and... I won't preempt it a lot, but if you think this is aimed at, at women, if there's six pieces in your wardrobe that you know that you can always rely on and that you can rely on them season on season, so they're not just in fashion and out of fashion, this is classic six, but I'm going to let Diana tell us in depth about where it came from and what it, I'm going to say what it looks like. That'll be a bit hard. What <laughs> what it looks like. And the starting at the beginning, like why did you do it? 
and then how did it become what it is? And we'll work our way through to there. And then we I want to talk all about what's happening in the Hamptons and stuff like that as well. Yeah. So yeah, it all started out of an overwhelm that I had with fashion. So I had the graphic design business, right? And I left Macy's, I was, you know, which was fashion. And I was missing the fashion industry a bit. So I decided to start a fashion blog on the side while I was doing, you know, while I had my business and I was working with clients from food to, I mean, the, the run the gamut of all yeah. the different brands that I was working with, but none really in fashion. And I missed it. I come from a fashion family. My mom's a seamstress, like I mm. mentioned. I had been designing clothes since I was a little girl. My mom would make me the clothes. I love fashion and it's always been a passion of mine. So I said, I'll start a blog about fashion. And this was like 2014 when, you know, it was a little late to be starting a blog, but it was still like. A late adopter, not an early adopter. Yeah. Maybe there's an opportunity there for me to kind of share my fashion, Uh my fashion advice. And I, and I wound up getting to the point where I was not enjoying it at all. Like I loved the fashion. I loved the creativity. I loved creating kind of like these editorials, something very visual and fun to look at. But I did not like, first of all, I hated being a model. And I felt like I was accumulating just entirely too much stuff. Brands were sending me stuff. I had shoes literally everywhere, all over my office. And I just... I, I I felt honestly completely overwhelmed. And as somebody with a fashion background, I thought to myself, if I'm feeling overwhelmed, how many other women are feeling overwhelmed with the amount of access that they have in their own closets? Yeah. And that's, I mean, it's, it's not even overwhelm in your own closet. It's overwhelm in the stores. Like I, at one point I was like, I don't even want to go in this store right now. Like there's just too much to choose from. And I could easily go into a store and pick things that I like, but what about someone that doesn't really have that eye for fashion? Mm-hmm. How overwhelmed must they feel with these endless options to choose from? So long story short, I created this kind of capsule wardrobe for myself. I took the pieces out of my closet that I knew I could style a hundred different ways. I would always reach for because I knew I loved how I looked in them. Some things I made for myself over the years or my mom made them for me. Some things were vintage that I just loved Mm -hmm. and it was so right. And I put them on a rolling rack outside of my closet. And that was my new closet. It was like 20 pieces. It looked beautiful. It was like a store. I had a few few accessories. You know, I don't love to limit accessories because they really are the personality of a look. But my foundation was there. My foundation was there in like 20 or so pieces. And I closed up the doors and I wanted to do this little experiment to see if it was possible for me to take those few pieces and wear them for the next few months, but keep them feeling fresh and new and kind of exciting. And I found that, you know, it was so much easier to do than I originally anticipated. And it was kind of like a light bulb moment. I was like, why can't I do this for other women by kind of cutting through the clutter and presenting women with this idea of a foundational wardrobe that you can mix and match and style so many ways to wear through the seasons Mm -hmm. um, and through the years. Like they're they're pieces that are going to stand the test of time from a design perspective. So I was like, this is, a nice, this is an idea. I need to do something with this. I need to figure it out. So, and I don't have a fashion background, meaning like I did not go to school for fashion design. Yep. I kind of was going to learn how to do this on my own. And I made it like a passion project. I would watch every video that I could find on the business of fashion on YouTube. I was kind of just like educating myself on if this was possible for me to do something like this. And I... I don't even remember the day that I was like, all right, I'm going to do it. I think it was just kind of like what I mentioned before about taking one foot. Yeah. One, one step. step. Yeah. Like, you, like you could see the full picture, but don't stress yourself out about that full picture. Just keep taking small steps mm. towards that full picture. And that's, that's essentially, that's essentially what I did. I, I'm, I did a lot of research to come up with those first six pieces because I wanted to make sure that I wasn't just choosing these pieces or these designs or these kind of silhouettes because I loved them. I wanted to choose them because 
I know that this silhouette is going to stand the test of time from a design perspective. So for example, a double-breasted blazer has been around for a hundred years. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that it's not going anywhere. Right. So that was absolutely one of the pieces that I wanted in the collection, a beautiful uh, yeah, cotton button down shirt white yep. shirt needed to be in the collection. So these are certain pieces that those first initial six pieces could be styled. I mean, for the first lookbook we did, we used one pair of jeans and one white t-shirt and we styled 40 different looks just with the six pieces in those two. That's those pretty two impressive. Shirts, I, yeah. In a world that is so consumer driven by more, yeah, yeah. You're editing down and saying buy less? Yes, that's exactly what we're doing. And we're not just, I feel like a lot of people often ask us how we're differentiating, right? So we have a we have a double-breasted blazer, a navy double-breasted blazer with gold buttons. I made sure the fit was perfection. It was in development for years before I even decided it was perfect. <laughs> but how, you know, J. Crew has a double, navy double-breasted blazer. I'm sure Ralph Lauren has a navy double-breasted blazer. But I think what makes us different is, like I said, we're cutting through the clutter. We're showing the customer, you know, because of the research we've done, this is the piece we know you should have in your collection at some point, because we know it's going to create all these looks. Here, here is not just the double-breasted blazer, but here is all the different ways that you could style it. Yeah, it's um, an so education. Kind of, yeah, they're coming away with a knowledge and styling that they could always reference back to after they buy this blazer. So I think that's where we're really, we're really kind of different. We're not just a fashion brand. We're kind of creating this educational platform when it comes to styling. Yeah. You're, you're engaging the customer in their needs other than just in their, like what they're going to put on. You're teaching them a, a skill. I know from working in the fashion industry, I would often have you know friends of my wife say to me, "Can could you come and just help me with my wardrobe for exactly what you're saying?" And I go, yeah. sometimes I go no, sometimes I go yeah. The first thing I'd always try and work out is is are they somebody who wears separates or do they wear dresses? If they wear dresses, why do they wear dresses? Usually because they don't know how to put separates together. And that's not saying that dresses are wrong. It's just that if they're predominantly dresses, they go, you know what? I put one thing on, I put shoes on, I pick up a bag, I put on a necklace and I'm done. And I don't have to think any harder than that. I look good. I walk out, I'm done, you know? And yeah. I'm like, yep, totally get that. And we want elements of that in the wardrobe. It, it means that you end up with a lot of clothes if that's the only way you dress. Exactly. Whereas if you've got separates. Yeah. Yeah. Like no, you said, 40 pieces, 40 styles yeah. out of we a couple of pieces. One we have a dress that is just, we cannot keep it in stock. It's called the Twiggy dress. She's named after obviously Twiggy. It's a very mod, long sleeve crew neck yeah. dress. A classic. And it's a classic and it looks so good on everyone. It's almost like I call it the sisterhood of the traveling dress because yeah. people that think that they would not look good in this dress do it's kind of I think it's a mixture of the pattern and the, I, I mean the fabric and the cut it really works on so many different body types but I often say that this dress is like you mentioned one piece and it's an outfit right that, you that's it that's your earrings a great pair of over-the-knee boots and you're good to go Yep. Now I think that's actually, that's the magic of a dress. And, and the other, it, where, where it's narrow in one sense, the other gives you width, you know, so if you wore that dress every day, you'd feel like that you were just wearing it to death and it was a uniform and you didn't get enough variation. In it. And yes, you could change boots to shoes and you know different scarves, different necklaces and things, but the base thing would be the same. When you get separates, you get the you get the opportunity to mix those up, and when you're mixing those up, you get to be slightly different people every day that you put them on. You get to show the the different scope of your personality because we don't always wake yeah. up feeling the same or whatever. So I used to enjoy doing it like and just going, you know, editing this this editing it down and then giving them, you know, maybe. 
five looks that they could just keep working through, keep adding to, you know, but so that they've got these different looks. And yeah. then also being able to say, so the thing you need to go and buy is this because it goes across these, I don't know, eight sets. So yeah. don't go and buy that one. You've got to go and buy one of these. And that's like you're saying about the, the double-breasted blazer. You need this because it goes with everything else that we can do. Yeah, it's essentially what we're doing. Exactly. Yeah. We're creating this kind of capsule for the woman to create many different looks from. And I think also when you have less, and this is what I found early on when I did this little experiment, you allow yourself the opportunity to be more creative because you don't have as much to work through, yeah. right? So let's say you only have that dress and the blazer and the, sh the white button down shirt. You uh -huh. could wear the dress on, you could wear the white shirt underneath the dress, you could wear the blazer over both of them, you could wear the blazer by itself, you could wear the blazer over the dress, you could wear just the shirt and the blazer. <laughs> there's so many different ways that you can mix and match those. But I think it, I think there's something to be said about giving your brain that space yes. to become creative because you're not bombarded with all of these other things to look at mm -hmm. in creating, in creating mm -hmm. that look. And yep. honestly, like I, I, I'm a convert. Like I will never go back to a closet full of clothes and nothing to wear because you, you don't need to. It's, it's such an interesting thing. All those clothes and nothing to wear. That That is, I think, in my experience with fashion, that would be such a common catch cry that I would hear women say is that, but I've got all these things, but I've got nothing I can wear. And I'm like, that, can't, that can't be true. Yeah, it can't be true. And yeah, then what does it become? And the other thing is, is that when you've got these classic pieces, it's easy to buy a fast fashion piece and put it with it. And yeah. it's a in one season, out the next season, you know, like it's a, you get to play off that sort of fast fashion, but it doesn't mean that's where the big investment is. The big investments exactly. go in the other. Yeah. I say I allow my I allow myself and my customers to buy trendier pieces that are accessories. So and and I often find that jeans are a bit trendy as well. I yeah. was thinking early on I would have a capsule of denim, but I think that the denim is so cyclical and so trendy mm -hmm. that I think oftentimes, like for example, like a tapered leg acid wash jean is looking really great with the double breasted blazer right now because it it freshens the the look of this classic timeless double breasted blazer. Yep. And then potentially next year, those jeans will be, I hear the low rise jean is coming back, you know? So yep. I think there are certain pieces, accessories and shoes too, are major. I mean, when it comes to trends, adding those kinds of accessories and shoes to these classic pieces are the ways in which I think are the easiest and the least when it comes to investment to freshen yeah. looks. I think, you know, fashion, uh, I think it was Linda Evangelista said, fashion's so ugly you have to make it new every six months or something yeah. like that. She had some famous sort of line like that. I think that fashion, there's there's sort of like categories in fashion and like what you're doing with Classic Six is that it's the classic piece. It's it's a it's a foundation. It's like when we design a home. Yeah, every we, day I use the word foundation. Yeah. It's setting the foundation for success. Yeah, and then you once you've got a foundation down, even like designing a house, you've, you once you've got a foundation down, you've got everything that you need to work from. And then everything that goes above that becomes right through to if, interior decoration, you know, the cushions, and they may mm -hmm. be less sustainable and more fast fashion. But then yeah. if you also look at the hierarchy of needs of budget, we look at it and we go, so the foundation, well, whatever it costs to get that right, we need to get it right because we can't build on anything else. So choosing to get that foundation in, in a fashion sense, just like you do in a building sense, is just yeah. exactly the same thing. You know, yeah. I, I I probably have way too many T-shirts and way too many pairs of jeans. And I, I get what you were saying about jeans, are, and especially in women's wear, are a highly fashionable thing. And so they shift and move a lot. 
season by season. Mm-hmm. And I go, you know, like how many classic pairs of jeans should you own? But if you're a woman, that means that there's probably at least four that are different yeah. classic cuts yeah. that that have to sit in your wardrobe. For years, I, I designed swimwear and women's swimwear. And it was fascinating because we would rotate lots of pieces season by season because they were good sellers. But very few just classic pieces, you know, a black bikini or a white bikini or whatever became classic so hard to pieces. Find. I need to do, yeah, I need yeah. to do swimwear because that is, and that's what I want to wear. I want to wear the perfect bikini top, black, black bottom, be able to mix and match, yeah. have them every single color and print. Yeah. You know, basically the same thing that we're doing for classic six and swimwear. It would be a dream. That's it's, I mean, it's definitely on our plan. Yeah. That and the, the, also the one piece, like the, the classic one piece, you know, it, 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 yeah, I find it fascinating because we, we created some staples in the thing, but every year, because of the way fashion would move, we would take all our staple blocks that we would work from and we would reinvent them every year. Not all of them, because some would say, okay, we're going to carry it through as it is, but we would reinvent those as people's expectation of fit changed. I often look yeah. at old music videos and I watch old, you know, I'll like watch something that's maybe from the 80s and you see how they were dressed and the size mm-hmm. of the shoulders and the the cut of the yeah. thing and watching shows like Friends, old old reruns of Friends and stuff. And you look now and you go, oh, people wouldn't wear it like that anymore. Yeah. And then people are changing as well. Like we're in the state now where we've got more tall women, the taller woman as a percentage of population than we've ever had before. Mm-hmm. So this means that the dynamics of it change, you know, just when you talk about from, you know, crutch to hip and, yeah. you know, shoulder widths and stuff like that. Well, all these things are moving constantly. Yeah. I find it fascinating. Fit, fit must be really hard in swimwear to get it perfect. I think that you could probably do, and I've thought about this so much. Every time I'm looking for a bathing suit, I, I think about, I need to have swimwear for classic six. I think that there are six bottoms and six tops Definitely. that can be created that are timeless, mm-hmm. that depending on your body and your preference, you can buy and mix and match. Yeah. It, I, Think that would be I think that would be such a great such a great concept I feel like Victoria's Secret did it once upon a time they had certain silhouettes that you could mix and match and they would make them in different prints every year but they don't do it anymore and I loved that I think a lot of the brands do like a you know like we'll do a basic pant you know a bikini bottom yeah they'll do that and then they might have two or three tops that are kind of They'll get more fashionable at each piece of them, but they are still the standard fit. I always think of of things like your classic six. Take it and and in the scheme of say swimwear, when you go and you buy champagne, you know, so you go and you buy a bottle of champagne, and if you go and buy say a bottle of you know Perrier Jouet, or you go and buy a bottle of Veuve Clicquot, or a per- bottle of Dom Perignon, we know the flavor. We know the flavor we're expecting to get. Some will be drier, some will be a bit sweeter, some will be a, a different nuance in the grape. And that is their signature. So they have a, a profile and every yeah. year they blend those grapes so that it gets there. Now, we also get vintage years where the fruit is exceptional and it gives that vintage, even though it, it tastes the same if you put two bottles beside each other and tried them there will be something it's like a nuance that just is better it just it's got more creaminess more depth more honey more whatever it is in there and I think of when you're doing things like what you're saying with classic six you get that same thing you've got it you're you're making champagne and sometimes there's a fabric that you can get onto or something that comes along that it's still the same classic garment, 
but yeah. it just feels slightly different. It just works. It moves slightly more, you know, softly, or it, it falls slightly different. It's a great analogy. I, I always think of that when you're doing bait. Well, I don't want to call them basics, classics, because there's exactly. a basics market over there as well, which is like a throwaway market. It isn't. Yeah. It isn't like something that sits in the wardrobe for. Doesn't have sustainability in mind. It doesn't. It's not a lasting product. So then it's like with these classics, it's like, well, I want that jacket to be in my wardrobe for, I don't know, 20 years. I've got, for example, I've got a leather, like motorcycle style jacket, and it's got a couple of little funky extra things to it. It's been in my wardrobe for over 20 years. And it's a black leather jacket. I wore it the other night. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and those kind of things fitting into a wardrobe are just like I wear it every season. Yeah. And you know what I love, love about it? it. You feel great in it. I think yeah. that has to be too. You feel good in it. Always, every it it, and it also because I've had it for so long, I remember all these different moments and stories around. I remember where I bought it. I remember when I bought it. I remember who I was with when I bought it. And then I can remember different times that I've worn it at different things and gone, oh, yeah, right. Like, you know, it's but it's versatile, all those things. I, I find it really interesting. And I suppose that's the joy of clothing. Yeah. That, that thing of going, you know, when you've got this, say, amazing blazer, it's like, it's not a, I want to say a costume piece. And I'm going to say that. And I'm now going to qualify what I mean by a costume piece. Often I think that fast fashion is just costume pieces. They're just playing to a piece in your personality and that mm-hmm. piece will move on as well and it will be replaced by another piece. It's not playing to that. It's playing to being something, like you say, that's a staple. It just keeps rolling over and rolling over. Yeah. yeah. Where, do you, where do you go to find fabrics? What's your story around fabrication? Oh, wow. So, I mean, when I first started, gosh, this was so, it was kind of funny that I did it this way. I I think I vlogged about it early on. I went, so I live in New York City. So I went from store to store and obviously the garment industry, the few blocks around 37th and 6th Mm -hmm. and 7th. And I would go into every single store and I'd be like, I love this fabric. How many yards can I get? I need to send it to my factory. And they'd be like, we don't, we are not doing that here. Like how many yards do you want to take home with you now? And I'm like, yeah, but I need to do it in bulk. Like I need to figure out. And this is me just not really knowing the the industry Industry. and how things worked that like I had to source the fabric from fabric suppliers not like go from store to store in the in the garment district of New York City yeah no but I think that I'm lucky to say that we we have all those fabric stores because that's where you get the inspiration right you go to a mood or one of the fabric stores along those streets and you touch and you feel and you decide what you think would be great and then you go back to your suppliers and you say can you get me this and this content 50% wool we're doing a wool coat for fall and my factory says well we can't do 100% wool let's add 2% like a stretch or a nylon spandex or a nylon yeah like like a nylon just to have that kind of strength to it so it's just like a constant learning experience for me when it comes to fabrics and I don't choose anything without seeing it and wearing it and making sure, you know, like the 2000 rub test as I'm wearing it to make sure that it's going to stand the test of time. I mean, fabrics are fabrics. Like they're, they're obviously not going to last 500 years. I mean, maybe they would, but, but the idea is that I want them to last as long as possible. And I think that's another reason why we kind of urge our customers to take really good care of them. Our pieces are machine washable, but we say do them on a gentle cycle with, you know, a special detergent, take them out of the wash, wash carefully, you know, reshape them, hang to dry. And I think when people buy, you know, more special pieces like this, they feel a sense of, you know, almost protection over the pieces. I mean, I know I do. I'm not tossing my Catherine blazer on the couch in a ball after I wear it. Like I'm taking it off and hanging it up because I, 
I think it's a special piece and I want to treat it with the kind of respect I think it deserves. But I also think that my customer is like that as well. I think that they understand that these are pieces that they do want to see last a long time and potentially mm. pass down. So that's always something that I'm considering when I'm choosing fabric. I love sure. that sustainability part of that as well, where you just slipped into the conversation there. So for everybody listening, in case you missed it, where it could be passed on. And I think that's a really beautiful thing. I've got from my fashion industry days, I've got a couple of friends who used to model for me regularly, fit model and stuff like that. And I know that they have pieces that still to this day, and I haven't been in that industry for over 20 years, to this day, they have pieces that they got from their mother that they still wear. Mm-hmm. And I love that legacy story that happens with that. And I also love the fact that what you're doing is, is you're looking to educate the customer yeah. or your customer and become a part of their long-term life plan with their clothing yeah. and, and and simplify it, take the clutter out of their heads. Something that I do when we're designing a house is we're often, you know, doing walk-in robes. Not always. I'm kind of a fan, not kind of a fan. I have both sort of things. If we're tight on budget and tight on space, then I go have a beautiful closet in your room that you can use your room as your dressing room. And then there's a whole nother thing that happens there. And then if you've got the space to have a walk-in closet, um, then great. Is it one that you just have clothes hanging in or is it one that you actually get dressed in? So that again, determines space and size. And then with that, also is I don't really want you to be able to lie in bed and see the clothes in your closet because they 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 will be a stimulant mm-hmm. that that will interrupt your sleeping they'll be messy sometimes they'll be all over this show depending on how your closet's laid out and how simple it is and most closets that I see are overfull yeah including my own but are overfull because people have trouble editing. And when you come back to what you're teaching them is, is how to keep an edit, how to, how to make that work. And so I think that you're doing far more than selling pieces of clothing. You're actually taking people into a future space of how they can mm-hmm. simplify their life. It's a little Marie Kondo-ish, you know, does it spark yeah. joy? No, don't get, don't keep it. Yes, it yeah. does. Tell yeah. me about I the Hampton. Sorry. I, I was just really quickly I mean first of all less is the new sustainable that's something that I say often because you know we could shop and shop and shop and it's still eventually probably going to wind up in a landfill but if Uh you buy if you buy fewer pieces and have them for a longer time that really is the only true sustainable option so that's kind of you know and no one's perfect obviously the fashion industry is not perfect we can Mm -hmm. do whatever we can to kind of limit that you know, the effects of fashion on the environment, but I think it's a really good step in the right direction, kind of teaching the consumer to be more conscious of their, of their buying and what, and thinking about what they are buying and how they will use it and how they'll wear it before they buy it. So Mm. I think that's a, really big when I think about why I started this brand it's not just to provide beautiful clothing for women it's kind of to number one reduce the overwhelm for women but also but also keep that keep that less that sustainability factor in mind for sure just Mm. kind of educating I think the education of the consumer is really important I think so as well and you 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 know you can put it there some will come to it and some won't the ones who do will become they understand why they're there. They get that. Hey, tell me about the Hamptons and your your summer plans in the Hamptons. Yeah, this all came together very randomly. We, my husband and I bought a house out in Sag Harbor probably 45 days ago. And it was a little bit of a pivot because we obviously were not planning on spending time out here for as much as we plan on doing this summer through the fall. And my my idea six months ago was to open a little store in the city, kind of our flagship's first brick and mortar store. And I was looking for leases in Soho in the West Village. And I had a broker out there and 
when we found this house in Sag Harbor and decided that we were going to do it, I said, all right, so now I have to pivot. I have to figure out, do I still want a store in the city? Do I want to maybe see if I could get a pop-up in the Hamptons? Let's kind of rejigger this. So I emailed the broker that I was working with to ask him if there were any shops out in the Hamptons that maybe I could get a summer lease for or a short, short-term lease. <laughs> and he said, you know, you're at this point, it was just last month. So April, he was like, at this point, you're not going to find anything like there's places not on main streets, but on, you know, out outside of the little main part of town and super expensive. When I tell you, I, I was just like, this is not going it, to, it's not going to work for us. If anything comes of it, you know, if somebody wants to do a pop-up out here, I'll love to do it, but I'm not going to really focus on this initiative anymore. And if something comes of it, it will. And what happened was we were driving through Main Street in Sag Harbor one afternoon and I saw this vacant store on the corner of Main Street. And I said to my husband, I was like, pull over, I have to get out. I have to see what that store is. So he parked the car, we got out and I went to the corner to see this little shop on Main Street. And there was a sign in the window, it was a vacant shop, but it said that this store was opening in May. So I was like, I said out loud to him, I said, Oh, what a bummer. This, it was the cutest little store. I said, what a bummer. This would have been the perfect little shop for us right on main street in Sac Harbor. And there was this older man that was standing outside a few feet away from us. His arms were crossed and he was looking at this store as well. And he said to me, Oh, are you looking to open a store? And I said, yeah, I mean, I was hoping to, we just bought a house right in town and I was thinking it would be a great spot for me to have a pop-up for my clothing brand. And this man said, well, I own the building and I have a store two doors down that I currently have my antiques and my art in, but if you want it, let's, let's talk. So like and I, I was like, what? I felt like he almost, he, he's such a wonderful man too. I, I can't even describe him. I describe him almost like an angel because I went into the store. I wound up spending two hours talking to him. He has so many stories about his life in Sag Harbor, his life as an artist. He took us through his whole the entire property. And he was so he was so casual about, you know, he doesn't have a cell phone, he doesn't have a computer. He said he gave me his phone number. He said, give me a call. So the next week I called him and his answering machine in his house answered I left a message he called me back it was all it all felt very classic very yeah. like old and just very easy that I just felt like you know when you feel like it, it when life feels like swimming upstream and like uh -huh. not that the waves are crashing like it just felt like even buying this house, everything kind of felt like it was moving in the right direction so when this man offered me this space, First of all, for a price that I had in my head that I wanted to spend for the city store, it was the exact same monthly price, the monthly rent that I I said, this is just, this is kismet. Like this is something. And I and he even asked me, he was like, Well, when do you want it? He's so sweet. He's like, honey, when do you when do you think you want the space? Because I have to move out my my antiques. And I said, Well, maybe we can do June to November, at the end of November. He's like, that sounds perfect. The whole thing was just, we did wow. a handwritten lease, Yeah, you know, like I signed, it was just the whole thing felt so right. So I'm very excited about it. We have, you know, not like T minus 30 days to get it all together. <laughs> We're ordering stuff for the store right now. I have to get all of our inventory in order. We just hired a new operations manager. So she's going to be helping us get you know, making sure the transfers are correct for to get our inventory from Brooklyn to, out to Sag Harbor to make sure that we're stocked at the warehouse, but then also stocked out here for the summer. So it's going to be a logistical roller coaster. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking I'm, of a lot worse word than roller coaster. <laughs> it's always a logistical roller coaster, but I think I think it's just the the right move for us and I think it's the right customer out here I feel like she's gonna love classic six yeah so so excited about it 
I think that's just absolutely brilliant. And I think the fact, you know, from going e-commerce to having bricks and mortar will be a great lesson, you know, great teaching, great learning. Mm -hmm. And obviously with your energy and your drive and your personality, it will engage you at a whole nother level with your customer. Um, But you're not going to be lying around all summer. (laughs) No, it's gonna be a oh summer of it's gonna be a summer of work. I know. Good thing I'm right a few blocks away from the store. Thank because you. that'll yeah, be your I daily know, walk. I'm signing myself up for quite quite a lot of work this summer. But I am, I guess I could say here I'm I'm hiring two sales associates to help out. So if anybody in New York is looking for a job in the Hamptons this summer, please yeah, email up. Absolutely. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love the fact that you were describing before about, you know, when you're in flow and yeah. uh, it went when, when you're in flow and how things come together and how they point you in the right direction. And then it starts to move, you know, at its own, at its own speed and you, you jump on and you just keep moving with it. And yeah. I think there's, there's no doubt that it'll be a success. It's a success as an online business. So to engage the customer one-on-one yeah, and face-to-face, fun. it will be really, yeah, it'll be brilliant. It'll be really, really I think cool. also a great, a great test of the market too. We haven't, mm-hmm. we've done pop-up shops for a month here and there, but we haven't ever had a space for a six month and especially in a busy summer town on a main street. So yeah. I think it's be a good test of the market to see if brick and mortar stores are in our future. I yeah. think that it they might be. So it's kind of exciting to see what happens. 100%. And it's a high street store, not a, a mall store as well. So yeah. all those kind of things that, that it it lends to your brand ethics and your brand values. It's mm-hmm. it's about, you know, it's, I want to say it's traditional. It's it's like you said with, with the landlord, you know, doesn't have a yeah. mobile phone. He doesn't have a yeah. computer. He writes, he writes a lease on a piece of paper yeah. and he, he handshakes and he, he's good for his word and he trusts you're good for your word. Yeah, and yeah. It's just, it was a beautiful thing. And I, I just already feel very blessed that that even happened to me because if he wasn't standing outside that store that day, I never would yeah. have known about that space. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's a whole lot of synchronicity that's happening there. I can't yeah. wait to see photos of what you do with it. You make sure you send us some. Yes, of course. Um, and I've got a few friends who live out in the Hamptons, so I'll be sending them to come and have a look oh, as yeah. well. Yeah, without Great. a doubt. Without a doubt. I've got a last question for you, and it's nothing to do with your business. <laughs> <laughs> so you've just moved into your new home. Yes. And it's early days in there. Like how many days have you been in? Uh, on on Monday, it was a week. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so this is going to be a really interesting question because we're going to ask it of you again in future, in a future time. In the in your home, what is your favorite space? Hmm. Well, I just did the the living room. I just put a beautiful sisal rug down, and I got gorgeous linen slip covered sofas that I have been dreaming about for a long time and I flanked them with a an onyx coffee table in the middle and I have a beautiful I mean I can't wait for my sister to get here because I want her to see it yeah interior I want her to see how I did but I'm really loving it and the sun streams in the afternoon it's just it's special I can't wait to have a glass of wine and read a book I feel like that's going to be my spot I mean the couches just came literally two days ago Right. So right now, this feels like it's going to be my favorite space. And you just went through a whole lot of things about how the texture of it, which I thought was really interesting, and then how it's laid out. And then you just said at the end, it's a place where I can have a glass of wine and read a book. I think that's going to be my space. Sounds like a cat curling up, you know, like it's like. (laughs) I definitely was a cat in another life. I love being cozy and at home. It's my favorite place to be. So with that, what emotion does it evoke for you 
when you're in that space or when you imagine, because I don't think you've had a chance to be in it. You've got two day old sofas. When you imagine it, what emotion does that evoke for you? I mean, I just, I've been saying since I moved here and like I, we talked about the flow, I just feel so happy and joyful and very blessed that we were able to do this. I, I can't explain it. Like, I just feel like we were meant to, to have this house. Like it was calling for us. And I, I joy, I guess I would say joy. Like it just Beautiful. being out here really makes me feel joyful. And when you feel joyful, what does that allow you to do? And who does it allow you to be? Mm, I think more a lot. I think more relaxed. And I keep saying that, you know, New York City, I, I mean, I love New York City also, but there's definitely a vibration in New York City that you can't escape even when you're in your apartment with the doors closed and the windows shut. Like there's that vibration. But yeah. when you get out of the city for whatever reason, there is this sense of calm that mm. I can't put my finger on that I feel like just allows my heart to slow down right? and accept other things into my life. So that vibration, you feel almost like you're on a hamster wheel in New mm -hmm. York City. And for some reason coming out here, I don't know if it's a mental thing or I've just told myself that like when I move out here, I'm going to be, I'm going to slow down. But I've actually felt like even though my workload has increased since I've moved <laughs> out here, I've actually felt more at peace and calm than I have in quite a while. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. That's so exciting. And that yeah. it's almost like going back to what you've done with Classic Six. It's like an edit. It's like yeah. an edit back to simplicity, more simplicity. And I agree with you with New York. I mean, one of the things I've never lived there, but I've visited there many, many times. And one of the things I love is, is that it's got its own heartbeat. And it's whether your rhythm can beat at the same speed as its, mm -hmm. its heartbeat. That city is yeah. a, it, it's its own personality or it's multifaceted personalities. It's, it's also addictive. Like I, oh, yeah. I'm sure in a few weeks, I'm going to be like, I need a night or two in the city uh -huh. because you need kind of that balance of both. I mean, I, I feel like I do every once in a while. Need on, a little on my podcast, there's a, a, a fabulous friend of mine, Heather Folding, and Heather has an apartment in the city and also lives in the Hamptons and she's an architect and amazing woman, like incredible woman. And she goes, she spends time in both places, kind of seasonally. And, but then also she sees both, she works from both places, but she sees New York as the city as being more of her workplace. It's very, it's purposeful. It's, mm -hmm. and, and yet she goes to all sorts of events and everything else that happen there as well. But the pace of life when she's outside of it, allows her a different sense of freedom and creativity. Mm. Yeah, it's nice, I have to say. I, it, I'm, I think it'll be easy for me to get used to this slower pace. I mean, let's hope it stays slower. I honestly think that even with the store, I'm still going to feel this sense of, I don't know, it's just a sense of calm. It's a little bit, it's, it, I can't. I think one of the I, things... One of the things that happens is is they the buildings are more low rise and and that yeah. alone it changes the feel of the environment around you. It it shifts yeah. it. It allows more your your connection to the sky is closer, even though it's the same sky, the same distance as it was before. It's just uh, there's more expansiveness in that, and then there's less noise there's you know yeah. there's there's just less frenetic energy that's happening exactly. it's that yeah. frenetic energy yeah yeah uh, I think very very lucky to be out there and I can't wait to talk to you more about your home I also want to get you and your wonderful sister on the podcast together and get you to talk about clothing and interior design and how those two things work together as well and mm -hmm how people's personalities shift when they go say indoors in their home and when they go outdoors in their home and then also 
because people dress differently often in their home than they will outside of their home as well. And I think there's a really lovely synergy between those things with interiors. And, you know, it's like the accessory market. There's a decor accessory market as well. And it still works off the same foundational pieces. And I think there'd be yeah. some really interesting conversations and For people sure. would just discover themselves in that yeah discover yeah it's definitely a crossover and we my sister and I talk about it all the time we want to eventually do some kind of collaboration together which would be fun yeah something yeah. we have something in the in the works eventually but yes yeah, she'll be here in June so oh, she's staying for a few weeks. yeah awesome we'll awesome we will do that Tana thank you so much for your time and for everybody listening, we will post all the bits on how you get hold of Diana and where you can buy Classic Six. And then also, as the stuff comes up around the store, we will post that stuff for you as well. Please reach out to us via Talk Design if you want, or directly to Diana, ask questions. She would love to answer them. She'd love to tell you more about how and why. If you've got questions that you want to know about, her business about her reach out we'll make sure those questions go to her as well and we can fill them into you at some point dana thank you so much thank you thank you so much this was so much fun it was it was really fun really really fun and i think that there's a lot for people in looking at fashion as an edit sustainably um getting their foundation pieces in and then learning to just play a little bit to keep themselves, you know, feeling like they're on top of the world or or very much in fashion at this moment, you know, what's the trend? But if you haven't got your foundation pieces, then it's not going to work. Exactly. Yes. Mm. You got <laughs> it. <laughs> Thank you. More. Yes, this is great. Awesome. We will talk again soon. Okay, bye. Bye. Richard's Magic Arrows is brought to you by the Architect Marketing Institute. Clean, simple, sugar-free magic arrows that hit the mark for fast results. Let's fire a magic arrow into this week's problem. Now, I know feed pressure is one of the biggest things facing designers. It doesn't matter what level you're at. There is no one golden bullet for it. Uh, if it was, it was probably select the right type of clients. But if you're in a situation where you're being pressured on fees, I'm going to give you a way of dealing with it. And it's by asking, say, three questions. And this is called takeaway selling. So this is where you kind of offer something up and then you take it away and see if they follow you. It's almost like imagine if you had some hot ch chocolate cookies and you had a plate full of them. You put them in front of them, someone and then they went to reach out and then you, you pulled it away and you see if they get up and follow you. It's that type of thing. So this is called takeaway selling. So the first question you ask, you say, well, why don't you just leave the situation as it is? Why, why make the change? That's an unusual thing for a designer to say. Well, why not just leave it as it is? And see how they answer. And then you might say, why did you want to speak to me? Why did you not get someone else? And see if they follow you. See if they answer properly. And the third question would be, well, why not do it later? Now, by asking these negative questions, you're going to get a lot more information out of someone than by trying to convince them to do it. Because by pulling the plate of hot cookies away, they're either going to react or they're not. And if they do react and give you answers and explain why it's important, then what they're doing is telling you how important something is. Now, while these magic arrows are great for fast results, when you're ready to run better quality projects from clients who value great design and are prepared to pay great fees, I've got a special training just for you. Go to archmarketing.org forward slash talk design. Take your magic arrow and fire at will.